Hey family, this is Dr. William Clark for the Dr. William Clark Podcast. Glad to be back with you. We're back in the saddle. Glad to uh, have you back in the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's been, a, a been a, I guess, a quiet week or so on the podcast. Um, it has been so much going on uh, in the news, obviously, with uh, things flaring up with George Floyd and uh, everything else around the country. And uh, like so many people, um, I have... Uh, been at a loss for words and and just could not find the words to share my own thoughts and feelings. I know what I felt. I know what I feel even today. Uh, But if I'm just honest with you guys, I just could not find the words to say, uh, to articulate and express what I've been feeling, what I've been thinking and and what I've been uh, observing uh, over the past couple of days. I'm not sure that I'm in this space to find my words. Uh, But what I will say is that um, there's so much activity right now. Uh, that's happening in our communities, and there are so many people who are trying to figure out what to do, what to say, what uh, can be accomplished uh, during this moment. And I, too, have a lane uh, that I specialize in that will be my response. Uh, and I think, you know, ultimately, I think there's more to say at another time, but I will say as a short story or short version that my lane in terms of response to all this is exactly what I'm doing now. That is to inform, educate, and open doors uh, for people of color, people who are of minority groups, to not only have a voice, but also to have influential positions to make change possible within their communities. And without opportunities to do that, it becomes extremely difficult for any person of color uh, to do anything significant. And so I know my role uh, is in that lane uh, at my church. I read when I, my most recent sermon preached about that, and we're going to have a whole series on this. Uh, this podcast is dedicated to educating nonprofit leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, and etc. And for those who are minority uh, leaders who are launching nonprofits, this is for you. This podcast is for you so you can be educated on not only how to launch your nonprofit, but how to fund it and how to get it to a place where it is sustainable, it is viable, it is, uh, uh, it's capable of shaking and moving things in your community. When your nonprofit is funded, you can make change happen. When your nonprofit is funded, you can make change happen. So uh, with that being said, I do want to get to the topic at hand today. Uh, I wanted to I want to respond to a question that I got, and I did respond to this question in the nonprofit fundraising strategies private Facebook group. If you want to join that group, go ahead and submit your application. Just uh, go ahead and agree to the rules of the group, and someone will let you in shortly thereafter. It is the nonprofit fundraising strategies group, and and while I'm at it, uh, we have rebranded, relaunched our Teachable platform, and it is called the Nonprofit Fundraising Strategies Academy. Glad to have you there uh, go ehead and go to my sixfigurefunding.com elipatrick.com uh, there will be a nonprofit fundraising strategies.com or some variation URL for that coming soon uh, but just go to elipatrick.com my sixfigurefunding.com it'll take you directly to those sites and we'll be glad to bring you into the academy our online learning platform where we talk about all things fundraising for your nonprofit but here's here's the question can you speak a bit about the legal structure of an earned income uh, project, specifically uh, what are the tax liabilities? And this question, the context of this question comes in a form uh, or from, from someone who's exploring or trying to explore how can nonprofits earn income, tr- uh, create businesses, etc. So there are a couple of things I want to share with you. Number one, 
I think it's important for you to know that before I share my thoughts, a lot of what I feel and think about this topic uh, can be captured in my book, Sustainable, uh, How to Sustain a Faith-Based and Nonprofit Organization. In that book, I talk about the infrastructure one needs to create a uh, earned income culture. Uh, it's cool that nonprofits want to launch uh, earned income cult, uh, projects and businesses, and it is the popular thing to do these days, and I certainly believe in it. Uh, but in order for it to be successful... There must be a culture within your organization to sustain it and to embrace it. Uh, it's not enough to say we need new revenue, diversified revenue. We need more money to do great things for our community. That's cool, but do you have the culture? Do you have the infrastructure? Do you have the business practices in place to make it happen? If your nonprofit is still led by people who think with a nonprofit mentality, which is cool, but they don't have the entrepreneurial mentality, the mentality of someone who's looking to not only just make a quick buck to break even, but also make a buck to get ahead and make a profit, uh, then your business, the business itself, the earned income business itself will struggle. It's not enough to get funding and support for what you're doing. You got to have the infrastructure in place, the culture in place. So this is why I focus on the culture, uh, the business practices, etc. what you need to be thinking about when you're launching a for-profit entity for your nonprofit or for the benefit of your nonprofit. Now, there are various structures a nonprofit can pursue in response to this opportunity. Uh, number one, you can pursue a separate LLC uh, with the sole owner, majority owner, or the partner of the LLC is uh, the nonprofit itself. It could be not a part of the umbrella. It could be totally separate. This is a totally separate project uh, entity that, that is wholly owned or partially owned by the nonprofit. The second structure that you could pursue is an umbrella LLC, umbrella organization, corporation that is under the auspices of the nonprofit. For example, the nonprofit is the chairman. Uh, the nonprofit CEO is the chairman, the, the chairman of the board of that for-profit entity. That is quite popular uh, amongst uh, nonprofits. And then the third structure is the business entity is not separate but is operated by the nonprofit and it doesn't have a separate – it does not have a separate structure. Now, the number three, this third option where the entity is operated by the nonprofit, uh, you got to be careful about the, the amount of revenue you generate because once you cross cross a th threshold and some believe the threshold is literally 50 uh, percent um, of your income. If your revenue is 50 percent of your total revenue and the revenue is non-program related then you may run the risk of losing your tax exempt status, which means that option two or one might be uh, a cool idea for you to explore. OK, now, with that being said, um, all these options are available to you and they all come with their own tax implications. As I say uh, to my clients and my students, you, you, my 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 thoughts are <laughs> legit and I've seen and practiced these things real time. But I strongly suggest you talk to a tax a tax professional and an attorney to help you shape this accordingly. You want to make sure you're doing it legally and appropriately. But once you get all that set up, then you got to go forward, right? There are various tax implications that exist for either option. And so that's something that you got to consider. Um, and so once you figure out which one is for you, then you move forward. Now, the bottom line of these structures, it doesn't matter which one you pick. I think I think it does matter which, which one you pick. But for the sake of this podcast, 
I rather you pick a structure, make adjustments, you know, along the way on the journey. And the only reason why I'm saying that to you now is because, yes, we can deliberate on which structure is important. But what's more important for me to see you do is to take is for you to for you to take action. It's more important for me to see you do something about your revenue structure and your revenue diversification than for you to sit there and not do a thing. Because what we can do, what we do do in the nonprofit world is we will deliberate uh, about simple things and really miss the boat on what can be done, what we should be doing, what we can do. And we deliberate on things that are super simple and irrelevant to the big picture and miss the boat of taking massive significant action that actually matters. Okay, We can argue to the cows come home at the next board meeting about what structure to take. Listen, get a professional in here, get, allow that person to tell us the good, the bad, the ugly of each option, pick one. And, and here's the thing. The bottom line also is for you not to be scared to pick an option. You're not going to have the perfect storm, the silver bullet that says this option is the best one. Pick that. You're not going to find that. It's important for you to pick one that makes sense, have your board vote on it, and, and the majority wins and move forward. What's more important is that you launch the business, that you accelerate the growth of the business. It's important for you to move the business forward. If you're not moving the business forward, then it doesn't matter what structure you have. If you don't have no revenue coming in, it doesn't matter what structure you have. If you have no sales, it doesn't matter what structure you have. If you're not benefiting your customers with this new venture, it doesn't matter what structure you have. It only matters when you start making money. It only matters when you start generating revenue. It only matters when you start doing stuff different. So I'd rather you focus on picking the structure, adjusting along the way, and then figuring things out. Okay, it's all about earned income. Now, to dispel any myths and rumors, uh, nonprofits can earn income. Nonprofits can make a profit. The difference between a nonprofit and for profit is no one owns a nonprofit. It is a public entity. It is owned by the customer. It is owned by the program. It's owned by the community, which is why it's tax exempt. Therefore, if there's any profit left over money at the end of the fiscal year, it doesn't go to any particular shareholder. There are no shareholders in a nonprofit. In fact, the money goes back into the organization. It goes back to programs. It goes back to building up infrastructure. You must reinvest it within the company. But that means you can have a profit, right, which is more important because we're having this conversation because we want to have more impact, greater impact. We want to do things different, better, greater. We want to be more impactful, resourceful. And as we know, the, the sandbox is shrinking when it comes to funding availability with grants and funders and founder, uh, funders rather and foundations. It doesn't mean we stop. We have the pleasure and opportunity to pursue of grant funds and grant uh, related contracts through governmental entities. But as it becomes more competitive or we fall out of favor with someone because of the politics, you got to figure out how to, how to diversify your revenue sources. So how do you do that? You got to earn income. You got to launch a business. Now, the reason I focus on this is because of this glaring stat. The average nonprofit budget only allots 6% of its budget towards events, fundraisers, and earned income. Now, again, 6% of the average nonprofit budget designates revenue sources uh, from events, fundraisers, and income. There are two ways to look at this. The first way is, fine, as a nonprofit executive director, board member, board chair, founder, 
not to focus on fundraising and not to focus on this as a, a legitimate income source. You could. You could say that. Or you could say, hmm, that's a huge opportunity there. What if we got that 6% up to 10%? What if we got that 10% up to 20? What if we got that 20 to 30? And events, fundraisers, earn income could be a third of our revenue strategy for our nonprofit. A third from grants, a third from contracts, a third from earned income. That's pretty diverse. And we can hire specialists, special directors, special C-suite leaders to lead specific elements of our revenue business who will grow and grow and grow and grow. And they will compete internally to have the biggest pot of revenue coming in to the to the organization. That changes things. If 30% of your budget came from a business that your nonprofit operated, how much flexibility would you have to hire people that you need to hire that a grant will not pay for? How much more can you pay talented staff without having to figure out a way to include it in a, a grant budget? How much can how much more can you do without trying to convince a funder who will refuse your proposal to pay for upgraded technology, better uh, facilities, etc.? I mean, it's key. It it is it is key. It is essential that you explore earned income so that you can have revenue flexibility, unencumbered, unrestricted resources. That is the golden goose we all are chasing. Where are the unrestricted resources? I mean, there are some organizations, some funders that provide it, but it really comes from you creating it and you create unrestricted revenue from starting a business. This is no different from an entrepreneur being encouraged to start their own business. You want freedom? You, you got to decrease your dependency upon your nine to five and increase the revenue coming from your earned income or your business or your side hustle. Now, the key that ties all this together, and this is the linchpin that I, I advise my clients on, my students on, you cannot just start a business for the sake of starting a business. I strongly recommend, like any entrepreneur, that you start a business that is within the wheelhouse of your core competency. Historically, we, we have seen nonprofits do uh, any old type of business to get money in here or fundraisers, cupcake sales, car washes, bake sales uh, for churches. They do chicken dinners and all that other stuff. Listen, that that's cool. But when you really do the math and you measure out performance, you realize that we've spent more money doing these activities and really didn't make any money if we actually do the math. And partly because, one, you picked the wrong business, you picked the wrong fundraising mechanism. And there was absolutely no people on staff who have the requisite skills to actually run this business. It's important for you to start a business that's relevant and is a reflection of your day-to-day work as a nonprofit. For example, what if you – what is a great example, man? I have so many. I'm trying not to give some away of our clients. Let me try to think of one off the top of our head. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's say you have a nonprofit that focuses on providing vehicles for um, a targeted population. Let's say single moms. Okay. And the vehicles are provided because single moms in your area uh, need to get to work and go to the grocery store, go to doctor's appointments, etc. The other reason why this is important is because where you are in the country, public transportation is non-existent or not even useful or helpful. Okay, 
Now, with that being said, you may say, okay, we're going to provide vehicles. We'll pick up used vehicles. We'll tweak them in our mechanic shop. And we will not only give vehicles away to single moms, we will also teach mechanics to young boys, 1824, or anyone 1824, who are just as involved, who want to work with their hands. So now you got two programs going, solving two problems with this one product. And let's say you're doing quite well, you got a workforce development uh, entity going, funders love you, customers love you, the community loves you. Then you hear Dr. Clark say you should have an earned income strategy. What do you do? Tell me, what should you do? What should be the earned income strategy? It's during these moments where people say, well, let's have a cupcake sale. Or let's have a gala. <laughs> or let's have uh, this ticketed event outside. As opposed to those ideas, which are cool. What if you kept acquiring vehicles? And here's the trick. Here's the thing that, that I love exposing to our clients and students. That, that your gift, your skills, your desires are literally right under your nose. You see, you're so busy focused on the fact that we give cars away and that we teach uh, mechanic skills to these 18 and 24, 18 to 24 year olds, just as evolved kids that you have not realized another competency your nonprofit has developed. Have you figured it out yet? Your nonprofit has developed the skill and ability to acquire cars that are undervalued, that are below market rate. And you developed a mastery, somehow, some way, of negotiating to get these vehicles in your possession. What I write about in my book, Sustainable, is in Chapter 2, if I'm not mistaken, I talk about the infrastructure and the mentality you must have when starting a business. It's not about how much you sell your product for. It's about how much you acquire it. And if you are already in the business of acquiring uh, vehicles for free or pennies on the dollar, you, my friend, are poised to get this, start a car sales business. Now, some of you may be falling all over the place and saying, well, wait, 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 what? Listen, hear me out. And this is this is off the cuff, off the fly. This is not a real life situation. But this is this is if you ever call me for coaching, call me for mentorship. This is what you're going to get. Right. You are already serving a community need from mothers who are single mothers who are by themselves, who need to go to work who need to go to the uh, supermarket, who need to go to the doctor's office and take their kids around safely, independent of abusers, independent of family who's no longer around, independent of, of bad friends and influences, and be able to be self-sufficient to take care of their families. That is a worthy community cause. And for some of you listening, this is what you're into. This is your ministry. This is your purpose. God bless you. On the other hand, some of you also have gotten really good at helping uh, kids who were lost find uh, career purpose and part of resolving this issue we're dealing with with our community around violence and police brutality and uh, interaction uh, with police that is not favorable is to open doors for our clients number one get them transportation number two get them jobs yeah so now you're helping 18 and 24 year olds get off the street and not only get off the street, but you're teaching them a skill that actually makes sense, that is sustainable, that will last to getting them involved in careers. How to fix a car, how to fix brakes, how to fix a, a engine, how to fix transmission, how to fix this, how to do oil changes, fill in the blank, whatever the case may be. 
Oh, I just got another business idea. Oh, my goodness. Whoever is in this uh, industry for nonprofits, you get in your consultation for free. Take it, right? Now, what you didn't realize is you just figured out how to acquire vehicles. And you may have an over-inventory of vehicles. So now you're saying, okay, well, wait a minute. We may give away uh, 80% of our vehicles because our moms, single moms, need it. But what if we held back 20% of our inventory and sold it at market rate or a little bit before market rate, a little bit below market rate, to create earned income and income flexibility because we need to hire more trainers, more counselors, more case managers. We need to hire uh, high-quality, high-performing executives. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. Man, if we were in church, I'd be asking for an amen right now. Y'all, if you're a mature organization, you're all about finding talent to expand the impact of your organization. But you can't afford them because the grants that are out there in your town, in your city, don't support what you do. Or they only pay but so much and you can't overpay because you don't have the revenue. But what if you sold 20% of your inventory at market rate and you made X number of dollars, say an extra $100,000, extra two, extra $500,000 selling vehicles, and the community catches wind and say, you know what, I'd rather buy a used car from nonprofit A, B, and C than from the local dealership. You, you mean to tell me people won't flood your car, your, your parking lot? Oh, by the way, I, I, st- I said I had one more business idea. I got two more off this idea. I got three. Let me just get this out before I forget it. Here's a here's a second idea. You may also God, let me just let me just spit the ideas out because I'm I'm way too many coming to my mind. You not only sell cars, what if you sold services, maintenance services? Do you know one of the most lucrative elements of a car dealership is maintenance services, car, uh, oil changes, brake changes, rotary changes, uh, rotor changes, engine uh, upgrades, uh, uh, transmission fixes, uh, whatever the case may be. Maintenance on a vehicle, revenue. You not only got young men, young women off the street working, you can pay them, not through stipends, which everyone knows we love them, but it doesn't really count as pay, pay a paycheck. What if you were able to pay people and compete with Pet Boys or your local Toyota dealership? No shade. Your local Honda dealership? No shade. Your local uh, Ford dealership? No shade. What if? And you mean to tell me the community won't come in and support that? What if... Uh, you were sponsored. The cars you got were exclusively, I don't know, let's say for the sake of argument, Ford vehicles. And Ford not only gave you grants, they also gave you sponsorships. And what if Ford gave you a uh, a dealership or of used vehicles? Now, I'm not, I know, I don't know if this is happening or if it can happen, but what if you figured out how to do that? But you had a pipeline to not only sell maintenance services, but you create salesmen for the Ford products that you're selling because you got an exclusive deal, an exclusive agreement. And all profits go to your nonprofit. Here's the last one that I think is even more important than all this. I'm a real estate guy. I think every nonprofit should own real estate. The question is, you know, Dr. Clark, what type of real estate should you own? I think everybody should own uh, residential you know, because your single moms can use it. The 18 to 24 year old guys who are mechanics coming home from prison can use it. They can pay nominal rent fee. Yeah, they're in recovery. Put them in your property. But here's something else you need to consider. If you are going to do maintenance services, if you're going to have, even if you created a, a rental company, a rental car company for your single moms, man, that's another business. If you had any of that, if you were selling vehicles, you're going to need a lot 
a a lot, a, a parking lot, a, a, a plot of land to park these things on? What if you bought a vacant land, piece of land? And what if you use that land to sell your vehicles, build a structure to do maintenance services, build a community center so single moms can come and get counseling and pick up their new vehicle? And what if you also use that lot? Maybe you decide not to uh, sell four vehicles. Maybe you decide to sell whatever used vehicle you get your hands on. And what if you subleased your lot to another car dealership? Let's say a Ford dealership. Let's say for the sake of argument, there is someone who wants to open up a Ford dealership and they have an amazing heart and they want to do more. They want to do great things. And you say to them, you know what? Instead of you going over to that side of town, to open your dealership. How about you open your dealership and sublease from me? Sell your new Ford vehicles. We'll we'll give you exclusive license to the left side of the parking lot. We'll sell our used vehicles as well, and we'll have a partnership. Maybe we can share. Maybe we can also build a uh, a car wash, another business, on the parking lot, wholly owned or joint owned by us and you. So now the nonprofit. I hope y'all keeping up. Y'all didn't started a, a a car giveaway, uh, a, a business which is funded by grants, a ma- a mechanic business funded by grants. Let's throw in there workforce development training funded by grants. Now you start to earn income. You start selling sales, uh, selling cars. You start selling maintenance services. You bought a parking lot. You're going to uh, sublease part of your parking lot to a um, uh, to a to a car dealer. You're going to also build a car wash uh, structure. Uh, listen, uh, th- this is why. This is why, one, you got to call me. You got to go to elipatrick.com, scroll down, schedule your free 30-minute consultation. This is why you got to call me. But then also, this is why nonprofits need to earn income because you don't realize, and I stress this in my book, Sustainable, how many different skills you have developed. Notice I didn't say anything about chicken dinners, galas, uh, car wash sales, uh, baked goods sales, Girl Scout cookie sales, no shade, love Girl, Girl Scout cookies. I didn't mention none of that stuff. I mentioned major enterprise. And because your nonprofit is doing it, people in the community will support you, not just because they feel bad, but because you have been doing a quality job. Getting single moms vehicles. You've been doing a quality job developing mechanics. You got guys in your in your in your on your team who have been been uh, locked up for years. Now they're managing a portfolio of mechanics, teaching mechanical uh, new mechanics to uh, go and infiltrate the industry. And now you may have a couple of guys create their own mechanical business, mechanic business. They may create their own mechanic school, which you can create as well. Another business for a nonprofit charge, uh, a charge a fee for people to come and take a class. And everybody who is not a part of your program have to pay market rate fees for your class. You may have some guys who graduate from your mechanic school and start their own business. And you now subcontract to them so they can provide services to you. Come on now. You're selling vehicles. You're selling maintenance services. You're renting cars. You're selling cars. You subleasing part of your real estate and you built a car wash structure. Listen, listen, listen. Earned income can change everything for your nonprofit. And the focus of all this money, all this revenue is so that you can change lives. I still can't find the words to express myself about how I feel. I know what I feel. I know what I've experienced. But what I do believe is that churches and nonprofits have a prominent role to play in our community. And we can do that economically. We can do that programmatically. But you have to get in the mindset of realizing your nonprofit is more than just a, quote, charity. You should be offended by that label. I'm not a charity where you throw your your old clothes uh, at us and we supposed to give it away to the homeless. 
No, give me your best. We're running a business. We're changing lives. We're giving people high-quality experiences and products and services. We're going to change people's lives. We're going to take people off the street who are at risk of running into police violence, who are at risk of black-on-black crime, who are at risk of racial in, uh, exchanges that are not positive, Christian Cooper. And we're going to create a different experience for them so that they can have a life-changing, transformational experience and therefore be the ripple effect in the pond that we are living in. Everybody isn't cut out to march. God bless all those who are marching. Don't condone looting. But for those who want to do something else in addition to the marching, who want to advance the cause of what we're about, and what we're doing, listen, help your nonprofit earn income. This is why I wrote my book. This is why I studied this, getting my doctoral uh, degree. This is why I spend my time doing this today, today, today. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I write about this. This is why this podcast is here. It's here to help you think outside the box. Call me. Go to EliPatrick.com or MySixFigureFunding.com. Schedule your free 30-minute consultation with me. If not, if you don't feel the need to, but you enjoyed the content, subscribe, like, share this podcast on any platform you're listening to, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Share it. Tell somebody about me. Even if you don't take advantage of it, tell somebody, spread this the good news of this podcast because somebody's nonprofit needs this. And you never know somebody's nonprofit, maybe your friend's nonprofit, maybe your nonprofit will be the change your community needs. This is the Dr. William Clark podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Have you ever wondered how large nonprofits consistently generate millions of dollars? Have you ever wondered how to write the perfect grant or how to successfully manage a grant or even how to find money beyond grants? Hi, my name is Dr. William Clark, and I'm the creator and instructor of What You Should Know Before Applying for Grants. This masterclass has over 28 modules of training, and it comes with tools, tips, and tricks on how to generate significant money for your nonprofit. Some students have been fortunate enough to build six-figure programs, and others have been fortunate enough to triple their fundraising results because of this masterclass. Whatever your fundraising goals are, this masterclass can help you achieve them. To register your seat, simply go to MySixFigureFunding.com. That's MySixFigureFunding.com. And you'll be taken immediately into our student portal where you can access all of our trainings. You can take the trainings on demand, at your own pace, and at any time. You even can interact with other students and me all online from the comfort of your home or your office. If you want to secure your seat today for this masterclass, what you should know before applying for grants, simply go to MySixFigureFunding.com. Again, that's MySixFigureFunding.com. And I'm looking forward to learning with you and growing with you as you achieve your fundraising goals for your nonprofit.